0: Friends, welcome back. Making sure that you're here. You can turn your screens on if you have that facility. So I know you're back or you're sitting in your chairs. So, um, yeah, I want to share some words about Thai's teachings. So Thai is the sort of the sort of informal name people would use for Thich Nhat Hanh uh, as their teacher. And as I mentioned, I think he is one of the the great Buddhist teachers of our age. His um, his life was a expression of the life of a bodhisattva, someone who's dedicated their life and their practice, and in this case his teaching, for relieving the suffering of others, whether it was in Vietnam during the war, whether it was countless thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of students around the world, also an incredible and powerful uh, activist and advocate for peace, Um. She coined the term engage Buddhism, so a way of trying to understand how these teachings, these teachings of mindfulness, awareness, compassion, actually take expression in the world, engaging um, in, in, in his case with Vietnam in um, nonviolent action, and was in conversation with Dr. King, and as he says that part of those conversations were what? By Dr. Kim to come out against the Vietnam War, and his life was um, and his teaching was really so much emphasis on an expression of simplicity and so simple. Uh, sometimes when I when I first heard about his teachings, they seemed too simple. It's like, really, can it be that simple? <laughs> Peace is every step. Really, isn't life more complicated? <laughs> And yet it takes someone with great understanding to be able to translate the, the, the complexity and the depth of the Buddha Dharma into simple, accessible teachings. One of my favorite expressions of his is this, uh, this expression. He said, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. Buddhism is simply a way to live well, a methodology, a practice, framework, happiness is available. Please help yourself if you choose, if you practice, if you put these teachings into action. And so much of his teaching was oriented towards just supporting people to be present. The jewel of being in the present. With mindfulness, he said, you can establish yourself in the present in order to touch the wonders of life that are available. And why I was suggesting we do walking practice, he said, that's why we should walk in a way that every step can bring us into the here and the now. So what would it be like to walk with each step there's a sense of presence, that that step brings you into the living present moment. He said, there's no need to run, strive, search, or struggle. Just be, just being in the moment is the deepest place of meditation. Just being here. Most people cannot believe that walking as if you have nowhere to go is enough. How many of you in that brief walking meditation were thinking, well, I don't know about this, what's the point, it's boring, must be something more important to do, where am I going? But it's just being here, being in this body, in this moment, in this step. Is there anything more than this? Well, if we listen to the mind, the mind will say there's plenty more to this. (laughs) Joys and pleasures and experiences, and building a life, and oh, who knows what the mind has to say. But it can be felt as simple as this one breath, this one inhale, this one stepping on the earth. As he said, the real miracle of life, not walking on water, not walking on the air, walking on the earth with mindfulness, with awareness. And again, to our mind, that's used to a lot of complexity and analysis and conceptual thinking. It can sound... It, it's so simple we overlook it. Okay. We might think, well, mindfulness of breath, I learned that in my first meditation class, but really I want the advanced practice. Okay. What's more advanced than abiding in the present? with full awareness in the same way the Buddha in the night of his enlightenment was meditating, following his breath. What I love about Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching, and that was very evident when you go to his monastery, um, was the emphasis on living the practice, not just becoming a great cushion sitting meditator but actually living, walking, breathing, talking with presence, with awareness, with mindfulness as you talk to children, as you cook the food, as you wash the dishes. In fact, one of his famous uh, sayings, I think it's from another wonderful book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, which was when I started practicing kind of a classic of mindfulness. There's a teaching in there about when washing the dishes just wash the dishes. right? And again, it sounds sort of simple, almost blasé. When washing the dishes, just wash the dishes. Right? How often do we wash the dishes and just wash the dishes? We're washing the dishes, leaning forward into the next moment, rushing. As he said, do you wash the dishes so you can go and have your cup of tea? And do you rush your cup of tea so you can get to dessert? And do you rush your dessert so you can get to the next thing? And so we spend our lives spilling forward into the future. And he's saying, no, what about just being here, washing the dishes? I loved hearing that teaching when I was probably my early 20s and uh, was a college student and running around London. My crazy white hair, and I was a punk at the time, and kind of <laughs> kind of a wild thing. And and I remember taking that practice. I was like, oh right, washing the dishes, not to get anywhere except do the dishes. And it actually totally changed my relationship to dishes. I actually really enjoy washing dishes. <laughs> it's like oh, it's a simple activity, has a beginning and end. You start off with dirty sink and dirty plates and. And then, and then you clean them and it can be quite satisfying. And if I'm not thinking this is a lesser activity, what's after the dishes is going to be so much more interesting and better. And maybe I rush to my meditation once I clean the dishes. Right. We're kind of missing the point. So. And of course, that's a metaphor. Washing the dishes, anything in our life that we're rushing, that we're dismissing, that we're thinking is somehow less than, right? From the perspective of mindfulness, it's all just grist for awareness. He says, drink your tea slowly and reverently as if it is the axis on which the earth, on which the world, earth, in which the earth resol- revolves, slowly, evenly, without rushing towards the future. Drink your tea. slowly and reverently, eat your dinner slowly and reverently, drive your car slowly and reverently, wash your hair uh, slowly and reverently, as if it's the axis on which the earth revolves. What a different way of being in the world And then of course the fruit of that practice, the fruit of being present to breath, to body, to walking, to drinking tea, to activity, is we wake up to the present, we wake up to the miracle of the present. And he talked about the miraculous quality of life. Life is a miracle. Life, anything we pay attention to is a miracle. A blade of grass, a cloud, a raindrop. Looking into a child's eye, seeing a grasshopper come out of the grasses, or a snowflake. What a, life is mysterious and miraculous. He says, many people are alive, but don't touch the miracle of being alive. Every day we are engaged in a miracle which we don't even recognize. A blue sky, white clouds, green leaves, the curious eyes of a child, our own two eyes. All of it's a miracle. A miracle when we can actually Slow down, pause, be present enough to behold what's here in this living present. And, and you know, another um, teaching he talks about as you walk in nature, be present to the to the miracles all around you, and the dewdrops on the grass in the morning, and the sunlight through trees, morning song of birds. When we're present, you know, we, we live in this paradise. This earth is a jeweled paradise. And you get the sense that because of his practice of many, many, many decades, of very slow, deliberate, intentional mindfulness practice, he was extraordinarily present, had access to profound uh, joy, delight, despite having lived through a horrific, brutal... Civil War, in which he were, he and his followers and disciples and students and were bombed, attacked, um, jailed, um, eventually um, uh, banned from going back to his own country for his views on the war. And yet was also able to find peace, hence the title of that book, Peace is Every Step said, the mind can go in a thousand directions, but on this beautiful path, I walk in peace. With each step, the wind blows. With each step, a flower blooms. With each step, I walk in peace. And I was watching an interview today. I was just reading various things and watching YouTube clips of him. And uh, there was an interview of uh, him with, um, with Oprah Winfrey, and uh, at the beginning of her interview, you could tell she was quite impacted by his presence because his presence is extraordinary, and she's probably not used to <laughs> Buddha's walking into her studio, and 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 sitting there with such presence. And and, the, and one of the first things she asked him was like, "Are you always this calm? Like, what about when you about to miss a plane, or you late for a meeting, or you know whatever?" And he's like, well, when that happens, I stop and I breathe and I breathe in and I breathe out and and I come, you know, to my centre, and I find a place of peace and calm and and then I do what's next. And he's like, Well well what about when you <laughs> when you get angry or something? <laughs> like, well, then I breathe and find a place of calm inside and meet that experience and, and as you read his teachings or watch him on video and you know he's very attuned to children he loved experiencing the joy of children and was also very much had that childlike joyful curiosity playfulness he said the present moment filled with joy in joy and happiness if you are attentive you will see it the present moment is filled with joy and happiness. Of course, not always, not that we should expect that or demand that, but joy and happiness is much more accessible and available when we are actually in the living present, not lost in our minds and our dreams and our fantasies and our reactions and catastrophes and Another facet to his teaching was um, his uh, invitation to invite a quality of restfulness. Maybe I think him encountering the striving, struggle, angstness of many Western practitioners. I think he realized these people need to relax a little. <laughs> Not be so high strung and driven and... And so there's some wonderful teachings about, about resting, resting in the present, resting in the breath. You say when you practice meditation, sitting meditation, walking meditation, don't make any effort, don't make any effort. Allow yourself to be like the pebble at rest. The pebble is resting at the bottom of the river and the pedal does not have to do anything. While you're walking, you're resting. While you're sitting, you're resting. While you're walking, you're resting. While you're sitting, you're resting. So what is it like right now is you're listening to be resting. Right? In that, in, in that walking meditation, and I think walking meditation is a good place to see this metaphor. In walking, there's often a sense we're leaning forward. We're leaning into the next step. We're sitting, we're leaning into the next breath, the next moment. We're looking for something more. There's a subtle restlessness, a subtle grasping, a subtle reaching after something more than this. And the net effect of that is we feel restless, not restful. So what's it like to rest into just this, however it is, beautiful, sorrowful, joyful, difficult. So there's a, his body of teaching around mindfulness, presence, calm, walking, joy, peace. But he also had other facets to his teaching that I think are particularly important. One is the role of compassion also known as a very loving, kind, heartful teacher. And again, he very much walked his talk, walked the practice. And some beautiful teachings around compassion, particularly around listening, the the importance of deeply listening to others when they're suffering deeply, allowing them to have space to be heard and also looking deeply into the nature of suffering. And understand the true source of it. He said, when another person makes you suffer, it's because that person is suffering deeply within themselves and their suffering is spilling over. This person doesn't need punishment, they need help. That's the message they are sending. To look deeper than our own personal reactivity to someone's suffering. In the same way when he was in the middle of a war, he refused to take sides. He saw the suffering that came from violence, from war, from that polarization, and was actually attacked by both sides for not taking sides. And was incredibly... Committed to a compassionate response to the war, which was, in his words, engaged Buddhism—a nonviolent, compassionate action—and there was fierce. And he said, "Compassion is not soft; it's fierce. It's one of the more powerful forces." This is from the Dalai Lama, who was writing about. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, on hearing his death, he said, in, in Thich Nhat in peaceful opposition to the Vietnam War and his support for Martin Luther King and most of all his dedication to sharing with others not only how mindfulness and compassion contribute to inner peace but also how individuals cultivating peace of mind contributes to genuine world peace. The Venerable lived a truly meaningful life. I have no doubt the best way we can pay tribute to him is to continue his work, to promote peace in the world. So you're pointing to this this sense again of a very strong stream of ties. Life is cultivating peace within, cultivates peace in the world. That the two are not separate. We often think of the world out there and me as quite separate. Like no. The lack of peace here is responsible for the lack of peace there. And Tai, I think in some ways, the, the, the ways that I've been touched by his teaching is really his wisdom teachings, and I've appreciated ways he's particularly pointed to some facets of the Buddha's teaching in a way that, again, very simple and very profound, particularly in his uh, understanding of what he called interbeing, exploring the teachings of dependent arising. And also exploring just the foundational teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths. He said, Buddhism teaches us not to run away from suffering. You have to confront suffering. You have to look deeply into the nature of suffering in order to recognize its cause. Everything has a cause. We want to understand the causal nature of our experience. And so... There's some beautiful uh, books and teachings that explore this sense of interconnectedness. And the Buddha once said famously, those who understand um, dependent arising, in this interconnected nature of experience, of reality, those who understand, those who see dependent arising, see me, those who see me see dependent arising. And so Ty was able to beautifully um, Uh, explain and explore what is sometimes quite a subtle and profound teaching, particularly around the nature of the self. We tend to think of the self as this separate, individual, isolated being with some kind of independent agency, not realizing we're part of the web and the matrix of life. And so I'll share some quotes from him. He said that nothing can be by itself alone, no one can be by himself or herself alone. Everyone has to interbe be with everyone else. That is why when you look outside around you, you can see yourself. True self is non-self. The awareness that the self is made up of non-self elements. There's no separation between self and other. Everything is interconnected. So this so he played with language, this idea of interbeing, that we interbe with everything else, we inter are. Right? It's, it's pointing to this sense of not buying into this perceptual um, delusion that we're separate. When we look deeply into things, we see how everything is intimately. Woven, connected, influencing each other. So, a simple example, I'm going to. Um, so, he would give this as a teaching. He'd say, What is this? And people say, Well, it's a piece of paper, huh? <laughs> and you say, Yes. But what else is it? Okay, and some of you know this teaching. What, what do you see when you see this piece of paper? He says, when I see it, I see clouds, and I see rain, and I see uh, oceans, and I see earth, and I see trees, and I see leaves, and I see woodmills, and lumberjacks, and sunlight, and pollinators, and Right? The whole web of life is in this piece of paper. Okay? No sunlight, no paper, no rain, no paper, no earth, no paper, no pollinators, no trees. Okay? No microorganisms, no soil for which the trees grow out of. Okay? No oxygen, no carbon, no trees. Okay? This means this, this this paper into is and right? this, this this piece of paper, like us, has a quality of being, it's interconnected with every other life form. I right? could hold up this and say, What is this? It's a finger, right? Well, it's a finger, but it's a skin, it's bone, it's muscle, it's water element, right? It has blood and tissue, it has earth element, right? It has come from the earth, it has. Fire element, right? it's warmed by the sun. It's air element, there's oxygen, good kind of fueling the cells. So when we look at reality in this way, it kind of opens up the field of our perspective. We see that nothing's so separate. He says, if you truly get in touch with a piece of carrot. You get in touch with the soil, the rain, the sunshine, you get in touch with Mother Earth and eating in such a way you feel in touch with life roots, and that is meditation. Right? So next time you when maybe you're gonna go after this talk and eat, you know, a cookie as you might have done at Spirit Rock or drink some tea or so you get your supper, right? Know that you're eating the earth and sunlight and rain and oceans and Millions and millions of years of evolution. So what would it be like to look at our way, our lives or each other and realize we enter right in this community, this sangha, this gathering of people, here we are on Zoom, connected through time and space digitally. We're interconnected. We are intimately affecting and influencing and conditioning each other. It's not just a nice idea. And of course, as um, we bring this understanding to our mortality, we can we can look at death in the same way, and and you know, as many teachers do. Tai gave uh, some beautiful teachings about death and his own death that I think really point to how death is such a powerful illuminator of these teachings. In one, uh, um, whether it's an interview or writing some years ago, he said, it is the understanding that birth and death are notions, that they are not real. The fact that we think they are true makes a powerful illusion that causes suffering. The Buddha taught there's no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no same, no different, no permanent self, no annihilation. We only think there is. When we understand that we cannot be destroyed, we are liberated from fear. It is a great relief. We can enjoy life and appreciate it in a new way. So he's pointing to one of the quintessential teachings of the Mahayana, which is a later development of Buddhism in the Heart Sutra, exploring the mystery of form and emptiness, of the insubstantiality of experience. The Buddha taught there's no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no same, no different, no permanent self, no annihilation, no constructs that the mind is trying to make sense of the world is just constructs. And the direct immediate experience points to the um, both the ephemeral nature of experience, the selfless nature of experience, the interconnected nature of experience. The same way he said, this body is not me, it's not who I am, I'm not limited by this body, I am without boundaries, I have never been born, I have never died. When we realize we're connected with stardust and sunlight and galaxies and earth elements and water elements, right? we're more than just this corporeal body. We're not separate from anything in this universe, anything in this earth so about five years ago um prior to him he had a i think it was a severe stroke and so he's been um in a sort of semi-coma state for some years before he died and um obviously being in this i was probably about 90 when he wrote this or when he had this conversation he was um clearly people were talking to him about his death and how he wanted to be remembered. And he said, please do not build a stupa for me. A stupa is a, a monument that that symbolizes the elements of the body. And Buddhist teachers and figures are, usually have a stupa built as a sort of honor and symbol of recognition. And he says, please do not build a stupa for me. Do not build this big statue. Do not put my ashes in a vase. Don't lock me inside and limit who I am. I know this will be difficult for some of you. If you must build a stupor though, please make sure that you put a sign on it and says, I am not in here. (laughs) Tignat Han is not in here. In addition, you can also put another sign that says, I am not out there either. And the third sign that says, if I am anywhere, it is in your mindful breathing and your peaceful steps. Such a beautiful teaching, both funny and deep and wise and compassionate. I'm not in there, I'm not in some stone building, although I'm not out there either. I'm both neither nor in between. If I'm anywhere it's in your mindful breathing and in your peaceful steps, as in his teaching, his legacy, the practice is moving through. And how can that be separate from him? Another time he said, if you can feel that the mother earth is in you and you are mother earth, then you're not any longer afraid to die because the earth is not dying like a wave appears and disappears and appears again. Time without end. If you can feel the earth is in you and you are earth, then you are not any longer afraid to die because the earth isn't dying like a wave appears and disappears and appears again. So beautiful teachings. And I'm gonna close this part of the talk by another reflection that he uh, shared about his own death and again I think these are profound reflections for our own mortality, which is what will happen to us all sooner or later. He said, this body of mine will disintegrate, but my actions will continue me. If you think I'm only this body, then you haven't truly seen me. When you look at my friends, you see my continuation. When you see someone walking with mindfulness and compassion, you know he or she is my continuation. I don't see why we have to say, I will die, because I can already see myself in you, in other people and in future generations. Even when the cloud is not there, it continues as snow or rain. It is impossible for the cloud to die. It can become ice or rain or snow, but it cannot become nothing. The cloud does not need to have a soul in order to continue. There's no beginning and no end. I will never die. There will be a dissolution of this body, but that does not mean my death. I will continue always. So beautiful, profound words. So here we are reflecting, remembering, the life and the work and the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh and at the same time he's saying, I did not die, I live in the continuation of mindfulness and compassion in my students and children, practitioners, teachers and teachings. And so even in his death he's teaching, just as in his life he was teaching. And so just notice what's present for you as you listen to these words. I've mostly been articulating Thay's spoken word or written word or paraphrasing. Um, Really just wanting to kind of have a space for his teachings to be heard and felt and listened to. And just to kind of sense into to what's here as you hear these words. What's here as you perhaps remember your memories of Thay or ways that you were touched by his teachings. Maybe he inspired some of you to begin meditating, to learn mindfulness, walking meditation, eating meditation. He did a beautiful uh, apple-eating uh, meditation at Spirit Rock and, and again pointing to this apple. Is, it's an apple, but it's also the sun and the moon and the stars and light and rivers and oceans. and It all can be seen right here in this beautiful present moment. So let's just take a moment to just sit quietly for a, for a minute or two and just feeling the influence of those teachings, the mystery of death, the miracle of interconnectedness, the miracle of life, the preciousness of the present moment. mystery of awareness that can reveal experience, life, reality. close with these words again from Thay, and then I'm going to invite you, after I've um, shared this last quote about his own death, to perhaps um, write in the chat box just ways that you have been touched by Thich Nhat Hanh's words, his teachings, his presence, or anything that um, you wish to share. So again, I'll just read this beautiful reading, which I've read many, many times today, and it's just quite profound and moving. He said, this body of mine, and you can imagine he's, you're speaking these words for your own self, this body of mine will disintegrate, my, but my actions will continue. If you think I'm only this body, you haven't truly seen me. When you look at my friends, you see my continuation. When you see someone walking with mindfulness and compassion, you know he and she is my continuation. I don't see why we have to say, I will die, because I can already see myself in you in other people and in future generations. Even when the cloud is not there, it continues as snow or rain. It's impossible for the cloud to die becomes ice or rain, but it doesn't become nothing. There's no beginning and no end. I will never die. There will be a dissolution of the body, but that does not mean my death. I will continue, always. So, friends, I'm just curious to know, like, what words, what ways, what's touched you about... Thai, Han, simplicity of his practice. And as um, someone is writing, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasangate, Bodhisvaha, which means gone, gone, gone beyond, altogether beyond, enlightenment, awakening. Success, the chant that's chanted as someone dies, as a great master dies. dwell in the present moment, breathing out. I know it's a wonderful moment. Thais teachings help me through difficult times. His book, The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching is by my bedside each time I read it. Yeah, so many beautiful books. Feel free to share resources that you've appreciated. Oprah Winfrey shared the one on her bedside table is the Buddha and Christ in a beautiful exposition of the, he talks about the, the Buddha being the Buddha of the East and, and Christ being the Buddha of the West and his beautiful teachings about Jesus' life and ways he's an expression of love and compassion in the same way that the Buddha was. Chris is talking about mindfully eating and how that's connecting us to all life. Taking care of the inner child, just as he took care of children all around him. Thai, T. The, the Thai means T-H-A-Y. Um, I, I forget exactly what that means. I think it's a, it's um, either an honorific term of teacher. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Robert talks about how he spied the joy of simplicity. Yes, and there's a powerful poem called Call Me By My True Names. I had planned to read it, um, but if you don't know it, it's a beautiful poem. Again, pointing to the, the non-dual nature of experience. Appreciating his full commitment to peace in the face of violence, especially during the war. So beautiful teaching about suffering where Thay says, most people are afraid of suffering, but suffering is a kind of mud to help the lotus grow. There can be no lotus flower without the mud. No awakening without manure, the the Fertilizer for Awakening. Two of my favorite books, The Energy of Prayer and True Love of Practice for Awakening the Heart. I'm assuming those are by Thay Mata. The Discourse on Taking Refuge in oneself. Lotus on the Mud and Teachings on the Awakening of the Heart. So I invite you to Look into his teachings, read his innumerable books, um, some beautiful books on the, the deeper teachings, on the Heart Sutra, on the Four Noble Truths. Um, it's a beautiful book here that I've enjoyed called The Heart of Understanding. It's an exploration into the Heart Sutra, which is a profound teaching on non duality. Um, Grateful for the book, Pieces Every Step. Very beautiful book. Anyhow, friends, so lovely to be with you. Lovely to share in his... um, Thay's Han's teachings and practices and wisdom and compassion. Um, someone just posted, posted um, in Plum Village, which is where he lived, plumbvillage.org. They are still, there's a five-day memorial service that I still believe is going on. I was watching some of it today. Um, beautiful chanting and honoring of, of his body and teaching. and um, So good place to go for resources, plumbillage.org. And, um, but mostly just wishing these teachings of mindfulness and compassion, wisdom, awareness, miracle of the present moment, live within you. And may his teaching and his practice, his love and compassion may May, by your practice, may he live on in this world. May you also be emissaries of peace and presence, peace in every step. So, thank you, friends. Wishing you much love and care and take care of yourself and each other. And um, may our practice be really supporting both our own welfare and the happiness and peace and well-being of each other in the world so take care and i look forward to seeing you again uh, sometime here monday night or other doing lots of retreats at spirit rock this year so check out the the um the website. Um, I'm also offering some morning meditations. I teach the sunrise meditation, as I've been doing throughout the pandemic, and um, I'm teaching all this week, 7.30 a.m. Pacific time. You can go to awakeinthewild.com for that, or go to my website, markcolman.org. I'll post that before I sign off. But anyhow, wishing you love and blessings, and take care.